I'm good. Thank you, Dan. Well, Happy New Year, church. Good morning. We're here. <laughs> Would you stand with me? I know that um, I know that a lot of people are struggling with their health right now, and we can bring this down, John, because I'm just I'm a little hot to think. They're struggling so much with their health, um, and not just with one thing. Right? Sometimes we forget that people are just still human beings, and we go through things. We go through things physically. And we go through things mentally. We go through things emotionally. We go through things as beings. And this morning, when you walk through the doors, God doesn't expect for you to just forget about that and to listen to what he has to share with you in some sort of weird vacuum of the things that are heavy on us. They don't exist there. I'm grateful that he lets all of those things collide and that he's with us and he ministers to us, not in spite of those things. He actually will speak into those things for us. And I know that we have a ton of people this morning joining with us virtually for all of the reasons. <laughs> but we stand as a church here and there. Our prayers that we put before Jesus are powerful and important and pertinent to him here and there. So I just want to remind you that even if there are times where you feel like you kind of may stand alone in certain things, I know that I have <laughs> felt like, am I the only one going through this? And God says to me, yeah, you know, the this changes for people, but a lot of people's sentences start out like that. Am I the only person? And the answer is no. He is near. He comes close to the brokenhearted, and he comes close to us when we celebrate. He comes close to us when we're strong. He comes close to us when we make new steps. He comes close to us as we grieve people that we've lost. And so this morning, as you find your voice and as you tune your ear to him, just know that he sees that your hallelujah may be broken today for some of us, but it's still a hallelujah to him. It still matters to him. Your sounds and the fact that you're here or there, it matters to him. So let's pray together and welcome him. God, I thank you that you established your presence in this place long before we walked in here today, God. It's been my prayer, Father, that not a word shared, not a note played or sung will be the things that break through for people today. It'll just be you. You may use a note, you may use a word, but may we know that it is you who has come in contact with us today. And Father, we begin to pray right now, as we will pray later, for those who are in desperate need physically. God, I pray that they would, wherever they are, realize that they're not alone, that we are here, we stand, we intercede, we cover. We believe when it's so hard to believe when the body is frail but we believe in who you are. I know who you are, Father. We have seen your face and hand move time and time and time and time and time and time again. So God, that is the God that we sing to today. That is the God that we lean in to listen to today. You are worth being heard. 
So Father, thank you for already being among us. And I pray that we cherish your presence this morning, God. You have taught us that all else fades away. It all falls off. So God, I pray that your presence rises in its worth to us today. Amen.
say yes today whatever you have to teach us yes mm. whatever you have to say to us yes whatever we need to give to you yes whatever we need to grieve yes 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 gotta pray that your yes permeates this room. It's not easy to say yes to you all the time, God. But my Lord, is it holy? Yes. And so, Father, I pray that in very practical, real ways today, you teach us how to say yes. Amen. Amen. Ah. God is still good all the time. And all means all, right? It's funny how in 2019 and before you could say a lot of stuff, and now you like, let me think twice about that for a second. <laughs> is that true? And the answer is yes. So church, I pray that as you absorb the power of God today, that you would also absorb his practicality because he has some things to teach us today. And he has some things for us to give back to him today. And that's the ears with which we will listen today. All right? All right. Before you uh, have a seat, don't really move, but just do like that. High five to people from afar. <laughs> can see, if you have been with us before, I am not Pastor Kyle. <laughs> and as you do in times like these, you do what my father has always called make in-flight adjustments. And um, he's, not, he's not sick, but um, our dog is very ill overnight into the day. So um, to the point where someone has to be with him this morning. So you get me. So <laughs> no, no, no. So I, I don't want to apologize, but I just want to say take it easy on me a little bit. Let's take it easy on me a little bit. And if this is one of your first times, my name is Danielle. And my husband and I, we get to pastor this group of people. And if it is one of your first times, I pray that God shows you today whether or not he wants you to be a part of these people. But if nothing else, this is what I know. I know that he has something for us in the word today. And when it comes to me, um, 
I feel like God has to have a lot of patience to get me to pick up something that I read. And it might just be like one verse. <laughs> like you have, you can read something over and you can be like, I got it. And then God just keeps putting that in front of you because he's like, no, you don't got it. And this is one of those verses that I continue to ask him to help me get. And instead of reading a lot of verses to try to make God prove who he is, we're going to take one verse today, and we're going to talk about what God meant when he said it. So if you can, turn with me to Psalm 90, 17. And it's funny how God works because he knows how things are going to roll out. And this sounds like a great verse to start the new year with, but that's not really how it came to being. It just was one of those things that God put into place because I believe he knew who was going to be here. And the psalm is written by Moses. A lot of times we think about psalms and we automatically think they were written by David. Or, but this was actually written by Moses. And for anybody that knows even a piece of his story, he's seen a lot. He's gone through a lot. And he ends this particular psalm by saying this. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. And he says to God, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And that's what I mean. Like when you can read a verse like that, you can kind of be like, yep, amen, got it. But as I've shared with you many times before, sometimes God has me just hover with a scripture because there's a deeper thing he wants me to understand. And one of the things that God does with me is the same thing that I believe he does with many people, but sometimes we don't realize that that's what he's doing. So I want to kind of help identify it so that when it's happening to you, you realize, oh, that's maybe not just me in my head. Maybe that really is God communing with me. And one of the things he does is that he just kind of gives me pieces that seem like they're just fragmented and that they don't go together. But if I ask God to help me see the connection between them, they begin to come together and tell me about himself and what he was trying to really say to me through his word. And so one of the pieces that was just set, seemed to me like a, just a, a piece that's just kind of lived over there on its own was through something that I've been doing for the last probably six years. And we live in a, um, a home that was built in 1771. So old. Old doesn't cover it. Old. Old, old. And um, so when we moved there, we received a certain amount of information from the previous owners about the home. But I had so many questions about some things that it led me into studying a lot. And the ladies, if you are a part of shoulder to shoulder, you will have heard me talk about the front part of this, is that it took me kind of like on a hunting expedition to really understand the people and the times, the people that lived there, the people that lived around there, on and on and on. And I am not a history person. Can we see the non-history buffs in the room? Okay, thank you. My husband would be making fun of me right now because he is the ultimate history buff. But I, I just, I come by this honestly. I just, maybe I was nosy. I don't know. 
Um, so I started studying, I started researching, and a lot of times when you research, what you're researching um, are wills, last will and testaments. Um, a lot of the people that lived in our town were actually Quakers, so a lot of their records are kept all the way back then. And you can kind of trace who was who and who was where and where was where, because if you study history, even what something is called in, back in 1771, it's not even called that now. So you watch this progression happen with people. And so I have read many, many, many wills, like a lot. <laughs> like more than I ever thought I would be interested in reading. And what I found so interesting is that in these wills, people are so specific with what they are leaving and to whom. And in my mind, it would have been like, okay, I own 10 acres, I leave those 10 acres to so-and-so. But what I started noticing is that there was things like, I leave this thimble to so-and-so. I leave this hat pin to such and such. I leave this looking glass to so and so. And it was there over and over and over. It's so detailed what they're leaving and where they're leaving it. And again, like I told you, I'm reading a lot of these accounts in the Quaker, in the Quaker um, religions records. So there's always like a tinge of God somewhere in the writings, like in the name of God or by the grace of God, I leave my thimble to somebody or so. And so if, <laughs> if you were to see what I have, over six years is a lot of writing and I'm old school, so I write every, like can you, do you think I'm old school? I'm just wondering, I have a Sharpie and gigantic font written on notebook, uh, written with a Sharpie. So, I write everything down, and so it's over time, it's collected a lot, and family trees and everything. But again, I'm not studying like all of New Jersey. I'm studying one family and its heirs. And I got to the point this year was like, I'm really tired of reading wills. And I was wondering why it was starting to bore me, not just because I've been reading wills for six years, and that's boring, <laughs> but even more than that, like what is it? What's missing? And I realized that never, ever, not once, ever, in all of the wills and last testaments that I read, did anyone ever will their testimony to the next generation. So in other words, they were leaving tangible things, but they weren't taking time to record the spiritual things. And although you can't in, uh, inherit someone's salvation, you can receive the legacy of their story. You can receive the inheritance of their relationship with God. And even though I know that a hat pin was worth far more back then than it would be now, it still surprised me that people that labored so much in the name of God, when it came time to pass along their most cherished things to those that they love. They didn't leave their testimony at all of who God is to them. And I don't say that judgmentally because I promise you that up until now, if I'm writing a will, that wasn't making it in there. 
right? I mean, most people, you know, it's, it's stuff. It's stuff that gets into the wills. And a lot of times when you study wills, you can see what people did. Like, if there was a blacksmith, they weren't leaving all of their linens because they weren't a seamstress. So you can even start to tell what people did for a living just by what they were leaving to people. And like I said, remember, we talked about this concept of this started with God giving me this verse. May please God bring favor and establish the work of my hands for us, for me. Establish the work of my hands. So I have that over here, and I have this great reservoir of research, and I'm realizing that there is no testament of God and how he established the work of their hands. And we can say, well, I'm sure like in their attitude or like in, their, in the posturing of their heart, I'm sure that they did that all in the name of God. And that's not at all what's in question. But I'm saying like, you know, there's gonna, John, you can put up some of those pictures. One of the fabulously weird things that we have done as well as visited <laughs> some cemeteries near us where we would hope that we were gonna be able to find remnants of their lives in the cemetery, right? It's one thing to read an account of someone that you find that you're like, wow, they really were real. And so we just took some pictures of things. And if you look at that, like, that's really hard to read, that headstone. And a lot of those headstones, we could not read. And I'm telling you, we tried. And unless you're me, you don't even know who those people are. So you don't even know all that they accumulated in their life and left to other people. Now at the time, it was seeming to be everything to them, right? I want to leave this for those I love. That's the reason why that church got built, because there wasn't even a church when this pastor began pastoring these people. And over time, they built buildings and they had beautiful headstones, but most people just walked by there on the way to Wawa. It's not registering into people. And like I said, there's a tell sometimes in what people leave in their wills as to what they did. So I had that verse hanging around in my head. I had the fact that no one was really leaving their testimonies of God's faithfulness and their walks with him in their wills. And, and then I had this other question that started to swirl about, and it's, uh, what do you do for a living? And I think it started because it was kind of like um, a hunt. You know, you would say, well, why did this person have so many fill-in-the-blanks? Oh, it was because they were blah, blah, blah. They, this is what they did for a living. And if you think about it in your lifetime, probably one of the most asked questions will be, what do you do for a living? It's kind of usually part of our first exchanges with people. It's not meant to judge. It's meant to identify, right? We've all asked it. We've all been asked that question. But every time I thought about that question being asked of people, the internal testament of God inside of me was I began to feel people's dis-ease when they were asked that question. I began to feel people's embarrassment when they were answering that question. I, felt, I began to feel people's sense of diminished worth 
when they were asked that question. And when, I mean, again, I didn't at that time know why God was showing that to me, but he would show me scenarios, and he would say, if someone was in a room of people that they didn't feel were much competition to what they did, and someone said, what do you do for a living? They would say, oh, I'm a blah, blah, blah. But if you put that same person in a room, let's say, let's take a professor, for example. If you're in a room with fifth graders, and someone says, what do you do for a living? And the person says, I'm a professor. It's going to sound different than if you put them in a room filled with Nobel Peace Prize winners. And someone asks that person, well, what do you do for a living? It sounds more like, well, I'm, I'm a professor. I teach. Do you hear the difference? That what start, what's registering? And what we're picking up on, even if we're not picking up on it in the moment, is uh, I wish that was I wish I had a better answer. Even if you are proud of what you've accomplished, I feel like there's always a group of people that if you were to say your accomplishments in front of would make you feel at least like there's an opportunity to feel less than at the end of that conversation. And so I was like, okay, well, what does that mean, God? And then he said, no, let's talk about you now, Danielle. Awesome, this is gonna be great. And so he said, uh, what about you? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor. He's like, no, no, how do you answer that question? And I will never forget the moment of illumination for me. I was in, the, in a doctor's office, and the question inevitably came. And I said, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually a pastor. And I realized that is how I answer that question for like 15 years of my life, with the word actually. And I don't say it like this, I'm actually a pastor. I say it like, um, actually I'm a pastor. And what I'm usually doing is one of two things. I'm either diffusing the discomfort <laughs> that I feel like people are about to experience, or I feel like I'm trying to buffer the experience they have had, even if only in their minds, with pastors in the past. So it's almost kind of like, I know how this is going to sound, so I just kind of want to help you digest it. Does anybody ever have this in their own line of work? You're like, you know? And then you're like, well, this is, and this is often very common. Well, right now, I'm blah, blah, blah. But I'm really hoping to be blah, 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 right? So again, even though we're, people didn't ask for our five-year plan, they said, what do you do for a living? And we have suddenly brought them into everything that we plan on doing to present greater worth, right? So that word actually, it really bothered me. God, why did you, I, I could have just said I'm a pastor, but sometimes you get into conversations with people, and <laughs> Kyle was here, he'd be laughing. You're 15 minutes into a conversation with someone, and they have literally dropped every curse word, and then some, that you could ever hear someone drop, right? If you, you know, if you curse, you do you. But I'm saying that what happens when someone is like doing that, 
bleep, 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 and 15 minutes in, they think, oh, what do you do for a living? <laughs> I want to say, this is going to hurt. <laughs> I don't judge you, but you're going to think that the title judges you. That has nothing to do with my sermon. That's just literally what happens. <laughs> but that question up against establish the work of my hands, God, paired with I probably, if I hadn't had that realization that only came from God, never even leave in my last will and testament my testimony of who God has been to me my whole life. And I had the other piece of, of this, what do you do for a living? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my answer. I'm so sorry for my answer. And it dawned on me that for the entirety of our being, our lives, we have been answering the wrong question. Because if you go back to the garden with me, Adam and Eve were in this beautiful garden of perfection with God. And they never even had to consider the question, what do you do for a living? Because they were being human beings. So they were being with God in this beautiful place that he created. And yes, the word says that Adam tended to the garden and everything within it. So if we were to think about that, wouldn't we think, oh my goodness, one man to do all that work. You've got to, I mean, this is how I think, who's cleaning up all the poop? That's for you, hon, because if you know Kyle, he can't ever get us through or he can't ever get it through a sermon without saying that. But like these are the things I think about. Who's doing all the cleaning? Who's doing all the feeding? Who's but God is just being with his beings. And they are tending to what he cares about. Including Adam and Eve. So everything is being tended to. Everything is being taken care of. Everything that matters to God is being cared for. But that's not the world that we live in anymore. So here comes the question, not birthed by God, but birthed by the enemy. What do you do for a living? Because the question literally is, what do you do to earn your keep? What do you do to have a right to live, to just to live. What do you do? What do you do? Which is why we can see in people's last wills and testaments that they talk about the fruit of their labor. But I guarantee you, all of, all of the things that I researched, nobody knows where that hat pin is. And nobody knows whatever became of that looking glass. And nobody knows of the things that are not eternal. But man, I would have loved to have heard the story of those people following God during times that must have seemed impossible. Just like I am most certain that if God delays, there will be people 100 years from now that would love to read the testimony that we can offer of how we lived with God through these times. Not just how we survived it, but how we lived with him 
through it. Because now we have this weird cycle that we're stuck in, all of us. It doesn't matter if you call Christ as your Lord and Savior or not. And it's this question of what do you do for a living? And then your insides immediately feeling the deficit coming in your answer. And so you try to say, God, I'm going to do what I do in your name. So please establish the work of my hands. And please bring favor. But there's a tell inside of us that says, that's not true. What you just said you did that you feel fulfilled from totally is not true. And you don't have full, established, holistic peace. And you know that. Like, you know when you're not at peace, right? So then what do you do? You work on what is going to be your answer in the future so that, not because you have a better answer, but because you feel better about the lack that you feel like you're always communicating about yourself. And we're answering this question that God never posed for us to have to answer, but the offense that we take up is always with God. Somehow the enemy sets that cycle up and receives absolutely no blame for it. Because then we look to God and say, you know what, God, you see me trying out here. You see me. I took a risk. I told this person that I go to church. I told that person that I'm saved. I gave this up and sacrificed this for people. I'm giving you works to bring favor on. What is the problem? What is the problem? The problem is, is that We have accepted the relationship that we have with many words that God never told us was their definition. And I've been talking to some ladies that I lead recently about needing to establish new relationships with words. Let me give you an example. Someone comes into church and they're in need of prayer. So they ask me for prayer, and I pray with them. And the next week they come in and they update me on the situation, and we pray again. And then this continues to happen for like four months, and I'm praying, and they're believing, and I'm praying, and they're believing, and they're believing, and I'm praying. And then all of a sudden, I never see that person again. According to my definition of established works that I would ask God, to show favor on, that would not be one of those scenarios in the natural. Because there's not eternal value to that for me. Right? We're, this, is, this is the honest zone. Right? This, is, you, you, this will not bode well for you this morning if you don't realize that we're going to just tell the truth. So someone comes to you in a relationship and they need, and they need, and they need and you give, and you give, and you give. And then a minute into that relationship, they just ghost you. You are not good. I'm telling you right now, you, you're not good. Ask anybody that's close to you, they'll tell you, you're not good. Because of what comes out of you as the residue of what you expected, because you were establishing something, and you expected personal benefit, return, 
right? It's just like you put your money in a bank. You're not expecting to, you know, get $20,000 less back than you put in there. You're expecting some sort of return. Sometimes we're not brave enough to say reward. <laughs> well, at least we'll say I'm expecting some kind of return. But God said, your hands are my hands. So if I ask you to put your hands to something and establish that good work, I will bring favor on that because it's who I am. But you can't qualify that as not important because it doesn't, it isn't something that would show up in your own will. Did, did you hear that? So I count what's most beneficial as something that lasts. That's why the lasting things in people's minds supposedly show up in a will. And so that ghosted relationship is not something I'm putting in my will. But what did it do for that person that I prayed with for four months? I might not know. I might not ever know what was that? But God is determining what is eternal and what he is asking me to establish with my hands, which are his hands. And that's where the favor comes. And we talk a lot in the church about moving from being a believer toward being a disciple. And a believer will stay in that cycle. A believer, someone who calls Christ their own, will stay in that cycle. It's a cycle of separation. It's creating distance with you and God because it keeps you preoccupied with worth. And a system that is trying to give you worth and the system itself is evil because it wasn't birthed by God. But a disciple, church, a disciple desires to break that cycle. And one of the ways that we break that cycle is to let God show us how to have new relationships with words. Because they're beyond words. When I say words, I'm talking about the truth. Not truth from my perspective. The truth, which is the word of God. So if he says, all that I am is his, including my hands, including the work that I put my hands to, then I have to let him decide what is significant. And there's going to be things that, as a disciple, you're going to have to grieve because you had an agreement with what certain words meant to you. There are certain words in your life that have a life of their own completely outside what God would have them defined as for you. Success. That's a nasty word. It's nasty because the enemy has gotten his, his hands on it. So he has polluted it and diluted it. Whereas God would have conversations with us about what is spiritually, eternally significant for our lives. 
And I guarantee you, there's going to be people who do, do walk with God and don't walk with God that would argue your definition of what is significant. But other people can't bless the works of our hands, church. Other people can't bless the works of our hands. They may give you a nod, good job. They may give you a thumbs up, but they can't actually turn a successful action into a significant eternal matter. That is God's business. God's business is about birthing significance and eternal life into the very mundane things that we are willing to give him and not call our own for him to bless. And just like how we talked about in the garden, because God is good and we tend, just like Adam, to the things that concern God, he takes care of those things. So we are tended to. We do experience the beauty of something significant taking place in our life. But it's going to be different than the beautiful, successful thing taking place in our life. The successful stuff, as defined by us in the world, that's the stuff that makes it into wills. But I'm talking about our eternal inheritance and legacy. And a disciple will allow God access to that. And if there are some things in your mind right now that you're thinking about, oh, man, I've had a completely perverse relationship with particular words. First of all, I always want to encourage you, which is what God encourages me to do, is to repent. We, we make that word so cumbersome. <laughs> I'm sorry. I see it now, God. I'm sorry. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for helping me to walk in that received forgiveness. And thank you for letting me learn. Thank you for letting it never be too late for me to learn. Like, this is repentance, church. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to make it less holy. I'm trying to show you that it's more approachable <laughs> than we have made it look. And that repentance, it just, it levels the ground. Because then that lack of worth is not, it's not changing up how we're hearing things. It's not translating things incorrectly. Our communion with God, it's open. And he gets to teach us and talk to us about what is truly the Father's business. What is truly the Father's business. And that's something that Kyle's going to talk about a little bit next week. It's just, I, I actually had told him this week, I want to actually stay vague on what the Father's business is because it's different for every single one of us in this room. But it's still something that should be at the center. It's centric to everything that we are or everything that we can be. And the grieving of those words, I say grieve on purpose because you are going to lose something when you let God redefine something with the truth. Because the reason that you've had that definition in the first place is because of self-benefit. And again, don't clean it up for God because the repentance, it can be like that. Just like that. God's not looking for you to have a long trip to the altar. 
He doesn't need you to traverse long spaces and horrible valleys to get to him. It's as quick as that. I'm sorry. I see it. I don't see it all, but I see it. Can you help me see more? And then can you help me bend my knee when I see it? So that's what I want to do this morning, church. I want to say two prayers. I want to pray for those of you who this has resonated with, and I want to help facilitate that clear ground. And then I'm going to pray for those who don't yet know Jesus, because that's where everything begins. Accepting the Lord that we're talking about as our Savior, as our only way to heaven, but not just so that we can get to heaven, but so that we can establish the work of our hands with his favor here on this side of the veil. Would you pray for me? Pray with me, church. Oh God, I thank you for a space that allows people to be earnest with you. I'm grateful, God, for ears that have leaned in, for hearts that have leaned in, for minds that have leaned in. I thank you for the grace that you have for us, knowing that leaning in, God, it can be challenging to our humanity, to say the least. But, oh God, I pray that you hear the desire for cleansing in this room, and even with those who are watching online. that that yearning for a cleansing, God, people would see how quickly you receive it, how quick you are to close any gaps, how quick you are to brush tears, how quick you are to change language and meaning, how quick you are to make shifts that we would think would take everything in us to make. Father, I lead this church in a prayer of repentance. God, we are sorry. We're just sorry. We, we are sorry for the grief that we have helped carry inside of us when you only designed us to carry joy. God, as a people and as individuals, we ask for your forgiveness. And I thank you, Father, for the receptivity of your forgiveness in this room. I thank you that people understand that that's it. It's a moment of receiving your forgiveness so that there is a open line of communion and communication between us to start the journey that we've talked about this morning. This journey of having spiritual, eternal things matter to us far more than the temporal that we would exchange our hands, our understanding of our hands as your hands, and that the work that we ask you to establish, it wouldn't be our work in Jesus' name, it would be Jesus' work in his name. And God, I pray that there are arenas being exposed to people internally, that they would understand this is where you wish to walk with them too. God, if there's signs that have hung that said closed or out of order internally in people. I pray that this morning people will begin to give you keys and open up doors that had been long closed. And that they would trust you, God, that as you go into that space and you sweep floors and you 
remove cobwebs and you change out light bulbs and you open windows for fresh breath, I pray that every one of those motions, even if they must grieve it, that they would trust you in it. And Lord, as they move about their day today, you would bring things quickened to their understanding and awareness. Ah, oh, this is one of those things. I defined it as this, and you want to define it as that. Open the window, God. Open the window, God. Open the window, God. We say yes. We say yes. We say yes. If it hurts, we say yes. If it doesn't hurt, we say yes. Yes, yes. You have our yes this year. Come what may, you have our yes this year. That is the prayer of our hearts. And if you haven't received the Lord as your Savior yet, this is your invitation. All morning has been your invitation to receive him as your Lord and as your Savior. And as a church, we're going to repeat this prayer. And if you mean this in your very being and you desire for him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, he will come into your heart. He will come into your life. And you will spend not just eternity with him, but your, your life with him. So pray this, pray this after me, church. Dear Jesus, I thank you for letting me hear your words today. Thank you for wanting me to be with you. I ask for your forgiveness for all of my sin. I ask you to cleanse me. I ask you to purify me. And I ask you to help me as you come into my life and begin a new work. Thank you for making me your own. Thank you for calling me daughter or son. In your name, I rejoice. Amen. 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 I pray that there are weights lifting today. Remember, it might take a minute because of what's connected to it. But you are in a different place right now than you were two hours ago. And that's what we thank God for. Movement. Not a stagnant intimacy with him, but movement that changes us. And this is Pastor Rick over here. He's going to give a wave. And he has two different books that he would love to give you to, for free if this was one of those first moments for you. First time praying that prayer. You want to understand, okay, so now what does this mean? What does this look like? He wrote two books. One for adults. It's called The Surprise of Your Life. You will definitely enjoy it because it's very much like a conversation. And he's an incredible storyteller. He's also my dad. And he also wrote a book for tweens and teenagers. And it's called Letters to a Gen Zer. And it speaks the language of people who are younger than me. But it still speaks the language of Jesus. So if after church you would make your way over there, he would be more than happy to give that to you. And if you need some prayer for anything, for any reason, they'll be more than happy to pray with you. The last thing I want to do, we're going to take the offering, then we're going to end, but is uh, I feel pressing to pray for people who are sick. Uh, I said earlier that we would do that a little bit later, but, you know, people are going through it. 
And I just want people, particularly online, to know that they're not alone. You know, sometimes there's one kind of distance when you're watching online and you're fine. And there's a whole other kind of distance that you experience when you are ill and watching online. And so I think that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can help close that gap for people. So we say one more prayer with me? All right. God, I thank you for the example of your son. In Matthew 4, Jesus shows us how he handled every temptation thrown at him by the enemy. He didn't just sit there and accept it and absorb it. He said, no, the word of God says, now go. So, Father, we follow suit. We follow example of that. The word of God says that by Jesus' stripes we are healed and that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. They are mighty. They are mighty. We do not accept the sickness. We do not accept anything that is sent on assignment by the enemy. We speak the word of life over, over every single person be dealing with any sickness, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, whatever it is. We speak life. We speak the name of Jesus Christ. If we can speak nothing else, we speak the name of Jesus. We speak Jehovah Shalom, that there would be peace. We pray for Jeho we pray Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh, all of the names, Father. Jehovah Sikkenu, all of these things, God. I pray that you would be a banner over people, that you would be a provision to people. God, that you would come near to people that they would not feel that they have to cohabitate with something that feels stronger within them right now than themselves. Because you are stronger than any evil that lives on assignment from the enemy. So we say today in proxy, the word says, now go. And we claim that ground, not in some weird claim way, but because Jesus already owns the ground of health. Your name has been written on that ground, Jesus. We only are acknowledging your name on that ground today, Father. And I pray that there would be a holy sweep through so many rooms, God, through so many families dealing with so much illness, God, with so many people that are battling mental deficiencies and depression. Oh, God, all of these things, they're just as real as the virus. And so, God, I pray, Lord, that there would be a lifting to people's hearts as there is a lifting to what has been broken. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Isn't it different than when you pray by yourself? You're like, Lord, help. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure it's in the Bible. Help again. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you for um, being entertained by this one-man band today. We're going to segue into the offering. Still me. Good morning, church. I'd like to welcome you to uh, the tithe and offering moment of church. Church, you know, giving is part of being a disciple. It's part of a being a disciple for me. We don't ever say anything that we are not holding ourselves to. Giving is part of being a disciple. It's part of our worship. It's part of our sacrifice. It's part of our being with him. There's different ways that you can give. They're all posted on the TVs, and um, there's metal giving kiosks at, the, uh, at each door. We don't pass a bucket around, uh, and there, you can just look around you. There's envelopes and pens, but if you can, drop that into the kiosks there as you leave, or give on your phones. I'll tell you, 
Kyle does the electronics because again, so, so I know a lot of you give electronically, but if some of you are old school, you can feel free to use those. All right, stand with me, church. Just shake a little bit, right? Sometimes we have to remind our bodies that God has been loosing some things. Like, I'm about to pull my greatest Taylor Swift and shake it off, but like sometimes you've got to just remind your body. Don't shake in judgment, Howard. I see you shaking your head in judgment at me. Sometimes you just got to be like, oh, that's right. It's different now. It's different. It's just different. Church, I love you. Kyle loves you. May the blessing of God, his true favor, be upon you as you establish the work of your hands as his hands in his name. Amen. Have a great week, church.